Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. If you've ever spent time in the woods, then you know just how isolated they can make you feel. Beautiful and interesting, of course, of that too, but have you ever been out there and thought, what if a real predator, be it a man or beast, were to show up at this very moment? What would you do? Welcome, guys, to this Patreon-only exclusive patrons episode. Found some interesting and creepy stories for this one that I hope are new to you. There are five shocking murders that happened in the woods. Number five, the haunting end of Nashville's golden couple. In Nashville, where the sound of country music resonates through every alley and echoes off every corner, murder mystery forever changed the course of its history. Nashville, a place where promises were sealed with handshakes, and trust was as common as the songs played on a guitar, saw its innocence shattered one fateful night back in 1973. David Stringbean Aikman was born in 1914. He epitomized the spirit of Nashville with his down-to-earth persona and genuine country charm. A banjo-playing marvel, he became the starlight of the Grand Old Opry in the late 50s, later added flair to the popular sketch comedy show Hee Haw in 1969. Aikman's friendship, Grandpa Jones, another country legend, was deep-rooted, so much so that their homes were nestled close by in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. Despite his success, 
Aikman, alongside his beloved wife Estelle, chose simplicity over opulence. They resided in a humble cabin, embracing the joys of a serene life amidst nature. But of String Bean's distrust towards banks, a scar from the Great Depression that led him to keep large sums of cash at home, sometimes even claiming to friends he could leave it on the porch without a worry. But on the night of November 10th of 1973, that cocoon of safety was brutally smashed. Returning from an ordinary Opry performance, the Aikmans were met by two young intruders, John and Doug Brown, both intoxicated and driven by greed. As David stepped into the cabin, he was shot almost immediately. Estelle begged for her life, but the two men shot her down too. The aftermath was as shocking as the act itself. Not only did the murderers escape with a mere $250, but thousands of dollars sewn into the Aikman's clothing was also overlooked. The gruesome discovery the next morning by Grandpa Jones, who'd come over for a hunting trip, sent shockwaves through all of Nashville. Aikman's deaths signified more than a tragic loss. It signaled the end of an era where trust was abundant. Nashville's very essence was shaken, and the city that once thrived on mutual respect and friendship now found itself engulfed in fear and mistrust. Years after the tragic event, Nashville still remembered the Aikmans with profound love and sorrow. Ramona Jones, Grandpa Jones's wife, recalled, they were such gentle people. Our lives were never the same after that. In a twisted turn, the 1990s saw reports of $20,000 discovered behind a brick in the Aikman's fireplace. The money, however, was deteriorated beyond use, leaving the authenticity of that claim a bit questionable. And justice seemed to have its way when the Brown cousins were sentenced to life. While Doug Brown's life ended behind bars, John's fate took a different turn. Despite the pleas of Opry legends like Bill Anderson and Gene Shepard, the Tennessee Board of Parole decided to free him in 2014. Their decision, considered by many as a great miscarriage of justice, remains a point of contention. Number 4. The Tata Cabin Murders In the secluded, picturesque region of Oakley, Utah, Crime unfolded that was so terrifying and brutal it seemed almost surreal. There's a story that explores the very definition of evil, and it begins in a remote family cabin where two strangers shattered the peace of a winter's day and forever changed the lives of a family gathered for the holiday season. The year was 1990, and it was three days before Christmas. Beth Potts and Kay Tata were enjoying the festive spirit with their family when two men, parolees Vaughn Taylor and Edward Deli, broke into their home. These men, who had walked away from a halfway house, had chosen their victims at random, while fall was a nightmarish ordeal as the family was held hostage at gunpoint. 20-year-old Lene Tata and her 16-year-old sister Trisha then forced to watch in horror as their mother and grandmother were murdered before their very eyes. Kay's husband Rolf was shot and doused with gasoline before the cabin was then set on fire. 
The men then abducted the sisters, leaving behind the place to burn. The fire sent up a signal to authorities and soon they were in pursuit. After a high-speed chase, both men were caught. They were thrown into the justice system and their cases splitting into different paths. The stark contrast between their trials and sentences would later become a subject of intense debate and controversy. Von Taylor pleaded guilty to two murders and in return other charges were dropped. But his demeanor in court did him no favors. Argumentative, conveniently forgetful, and showing little remorse, Taylor's behavior led to a death sentence. Edward Delhi, however, chose to go to trial. His attorney pointed the finger at Taylor, blaming him for all the shootings and Delhi's strategy seemed to have worked. He was convicted of second-degree murder, receiving a life sentence, though, instead of the death penalty. A morbid piece of evidence shown in court was a video shot by Deli while they were laying in wait. Captured Taylor gleefully ripping open the family's Christmas presents, his gun in view. But even with this damning evidence, the two men ended up with different fates. While Taylor has repeatedly appealed his sentence... Claiming factual innocence, Delhi seems to have accepted his fate. The lingering question remains, was justice truly served? Anti-death penalty advocates point to this case as a prime example of the arbitrary nature of capital punishment. Depending on how you look at it and a cruel twist of fate in 2020, Taylor's death sentence was overturned and brought down to life behind bars stating that he didn't receive adequate representation. Only one year later, that was reversed again, and so he's back on death row. Lene and Trisha vow to be there when Taylor is executed, though that day may be several years away. But perhaps the biggest lesson the Oakley, Utah case gives us beyond the tragedy that it was and the complexities of the justice system is just how random acts of violence can be. In a world where absolute strangers can become monsters, where the justice system may falter, the memory of that dreadful day continues to echo, leaving a legacy of pain, questions, and a never-ending search for closure. Number three, Gary Hilton, the National Forest Serial Killer. Nestled among the serenity of nature, The Chattahoochee National Forest is a haven for hikers, explorers, and those looking to escape the hustle and bustle of urban life. But in 2008, it became a sinister backdrop for a story of a young woman taken from this world violently and far too soon. 24-year-old Meredith Emerson was fresh from graduating from the University of Georgia was on her way to mark the beginning of a new year by conquering the Trails of Blood Mountain. Accompanied by her fateful dog, she could never have anticipated the nightmare that awaited her. Enter Gary Hilton, who was born in 1946 and is an Atlanta native. His early life was marred by problems, culminating in a mental breakdown while serving in the U.S. Army as a paratrooper. With a trail of failed marriages and a rap sheet punctuated with an assortment of crimes, Hilton was no stranger to the dark recesses of humanity, 
But what truly cast him as a sinister figure was his predilection for decapitating his victims. Rosanna Miliani, a young hiker, was one such victim. Lured by Hilton's disguise as a traveling creature, she fell into his web of deceit. Her nervous demeanor while with Hilton in a shop near Bryson City, North Carolina, was the last trace of her before her untimely demise. The fate of Cheryl Dunlap, a Sunday school teacher, was equally grim. Drawn to the Apalachicola National Forest for its tranquility, she instead met Hilton and a tragic end. Irene and John Bryant, an elderly and avid hiking couple enjoying the North Carolina trails, were to become the next casualties of Hilton's unspeakable crimes. And he didn't like striking out of the blue, but rather approach and talk with his victims before making his move. He would then typically use credit cards or steal money from bank accounts from his victims. And on that fateful day on New Year's in 2008, Hilton's and Emerson's paths converged. Meredith's strength and willpower kept her alive for days, and during a cat-and-mouse game with the man, she resisted his demands for her bank details and even tried to escape, but a tragic misstep sealed her fate. Around this time, authorities had already been asking the public for their help in finding a man that matched the appearance of Hilton based on who witnesses saw around the woods during the Dunlap and Bryant murders. And calls came in saying that Hilton was at a Chevron station and police swooped in and grabbed him. While in custody, the man opened up and gave some disturbing confessions to authorities, including what exactly he had done to Meredith. He said she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop fighting and yelling at the same time, so I needed to both control her and silence her. After that, with an eerie calmness, he revealed that he decapitated the young woman. Even though Hilton attempted to negotiate his way out of the death penalty, his litany of crimes caught up with him. While he evades charges of other suspected murders due to insufficient evidence, his presence on Florida's death row serves as a reminder of the monstrous capacity of some individuals. Number 2. The Hog Trail Murders In the swamps and thickets of southwest Florida, where wild hogs roam and the humid air feels heavy, lies an ominous mystery, the Hog Trail Murders. It revolves around one man, Daniel Conahan, suspected of committing not one, but several heinous crimes among the gay community down south. Conahan, despite always asserting his innocence, was put on trial for the horrifying murder of Richard Montgomery, a 21-year-old young man with bright eyes and a life ahead of him. Montgomery's demise was a tale of deception and cruelty. Lord into the dense woods under the pretense of earning money for nude bondage photos, Montgomery found himself tied up and naked in the middle of nowhere with a sadistic killer. The tale grew even more harrowing when the young man's remains were discovered because it told of a tale of torture. Wrapped in carpet padding, the evidence pointed towards a gruesome end as Montgomery had been bound, strangled, and mutilated 
what prosecutors argued was a fulfillment of Conahan's dark, sadistic fantasy. The details of the trial are hard to come by because it's that detailed and disturbing. The prosecution painted a vivid image of Conahan's preferred victims, young, lean, blonde, white males. Their evidence seemed to stack up. As Stanley Burden testified about a chillingly similar experience he had in 1994, where he recounted an offer from Conahan in Fort Myers, an encounter in the woods, and a deadly game of cat and mouse that he narrowly escaped. He had come into the police station with rope burns around his neck, saying that a man was out there trying to kill him in the woods. Physical evidence then connected Conahan to Montgomery's grim end, matching fibers from the victim's body to Conahan's car and a distinct paint chip tying him to the crime scene. But Montgomery was not Conahan's only suspected victim. Because a string of similar, deeply disturbing murders coined the Hog Trail Murders haunted Florida between 1994 and 97. Six nude bodies, devoid of identification, were found in the same chilling positions, with decomposition advanced around the neck and genitals. This pattern led investigators to believe that one individual was behind the crimes. Conahan's name surfaced after an inmate David Payton stepped forward. Payton's story mirrored burdens, implying that he too might have been a potential victim. O'Conahan was initially arrested for attempted murder, where his car got stuck in the mud in the woods. The victim was able to get police to grab him. It was Montgomery's case that brought him to trial. The state used Burden's testimony in an attempt to secure a conviction, which they did. Ultimately, Conahan received the death penalty for the kidnapping and murder of Montgomery. He is now 69 years old and sits in the Union Correctional Institution in Rayford, Florida. So, convicted of one murder, the attempted murder of the kid that got him caught, and attempted murder of Stanley, plus the six others along the hog trail, allegedly, possibly added to that were the bodies of what is now called the Fort Myers 8. Found in March of 2007, the first two discovered by a property surveyor, and then when authorities got there, they found the other six. And get this, all these were found within just one mile of where Stanley was attacked. No one has been arrested, but Conahan is the main suspect. Number one. The Shadow on the Trails, David Carpenter. As the sun rose over the scenic trails of California's Bay Area between 1979 and 1981, nature enthusiasts and joggers were greeted by grim, do not hike alone signs at some parks, a testament to the terror unleashed by a man soon to be dubbed the Trailside Killer. The Bay Area, renowned for its picturesque trails, soon became synonymous with fear. In the crisp autumn of 1980, police officers frantically alerted the masses that a serial killer with a severe psychological problem was stalking unsuspected victims on these very trails. The unidentified predator, later revealed as David Carpenter, engaged in a reign of terror 
that would see at least eight lives ruthlessly taken before his eventual apprehension. Long before the world came to know Carpenter as the trailside killer, his past was marred by violent episodes. Born in May of 1930, at the age of 17, he was already charged with sexually assaulting a toddler. A brief stint in an institution did little to deter his darker inclinations, and as the years passed, his appetite for violence grew. A particularly scary incident involved his attack on a young Lois DeAndre, who later became the mother-in-law of Lisa Renna from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that involved a knife and hammer. Out comes a hammer. Luckily, a passing military officer You're spotted something amiss and thwarted the assault. Though incarcerated for seven and a half years for his actions, Carpenter's thirst for violence remained. Soon after his release, he was back behind bars for a litany of crimes, including rape and robbery. A disturbing psychiatric evaluation around this period foretold his future actions, stating that under stress, his immediate response was to commit a sexual offense. But he was let out regardless, and the trailside killer first emerged in August of 1979. Over the span of just a few months, four women were mercilessly slain on those trails. Etta Kane, Barbara Schwartz, Ann Alderson, and Mary Bennett. The latter's murder was especially brutal, with the killer stabbing her 25 times. As 1980 rolled around, the body count escalated. A young engaged couple, Cynthia Moreland and Richard Stowers, as well as Diane O'Connell and Shauna May were found lifeless at Point Reyes Sky Trail. Trailheads bore ominous warnings advising female hikers to be extra vigilant, as Sheriff Al Howenstein announced that the perpetrator derived sadistic pleasure by making his victims endure anguish prior to their demise. Despite the growing paranoia, the trailside killer's onslaught continued. In early 81, Ellen Hansen was brutally murdered, and her boyfriend, Steve Hurdle, was gravely injured but luckily survived. It was Hurdle's testament, along with a plethora of evidence accumulated over the years, that would finally bring Carpenter's monstrous spree to a halt. An ex-girlfriend of his, having recognized him from a sketch, dialed a special hotline dedicated to the case, and the jig was up. Though Carpenter was not previously a prime suspect, damning evidence began to emerge. A gun connecting him to multiple victims was discovered, and DNA evidence many years later linked him unequivocally to at least one of the murders. In a 2013 interview, Carpenter maintained his innocence, claiming he was made a convenient scapegoat. But science and the weight of his past crimes argued otherwise. David Carpenter, today at 93, is the oldest inmate on California's death row. While the Bay Area's trails have since regained their peaceful allure, for many, the memories of those dark days will forever cast a shadow on their beauty. There were five shocking murders that happened in the woods. While the woods can be dark and deep, their secrets can sometimes be too much to keep. You have to remember, we only hear about the cases that have been solved and the bodies that have been found. And there are undoubtedly many more stories 
hidden across every single forest you see. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Appreciate all the support very much. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you guys in the next one. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.